Trotsky wouldn't be allowed to write anymore, to speak anymore, or even leave his house for more than two hours a day. Wow. <laughs> um, to go for walks. <laughs> wow, Norway was really kissing Stalin's yeah. ass. <laughs> uh, and eventually the walks were taken away too. Oh, God. So he's just on house arrest but <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. All zucchinis are equal, but some are more equal than others. We hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're going to try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Leon Trotsky and Frank Church. Ah, so we'll be dibbling at a little communism once again. Well, you know what they say. First you dibble, then you dabble, and then you seize the means of production. It's a tale as old as time. Sure is. You know, James, I gotta ask, what's your take on communism? Um, do we really want to get all political on the air? Ah, uh, come on, James, they don't mind. I'd better not. You never know who's listening. <laughs> Actually, we do know who's listening. There's approximately two of them. You don't know that. Especially not today. Look, the shit we say on here, if we're not on some kind of list by now... You mean the NSA doesn't like history? Well, they like our history. The research we've done for this show has taken us some weird places on the internet. Not to mention we've done a lot of reading about Nazis. Hey, being informed isn't a crime. I can visit that Mussolini fan page all I want. Yeah, we're definitely on a list. To the history lab! CIA, Communism, Mass Surveillance, Revolution. Here will be told the tales of Leon Trotsky and Frank Church. Trotsky, a famous Marxist and politician. Church, a statesman who stared into the abyss and said, No. These men have gone down in history as upstarts, traitors, heroes, and villains. In a world where things are always more complicated than black and white, a careful and objective analysis of the facts is not only required, it is crucial. <laughs> So, tell me, Aaron, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Uh, I'd have to say depression. Oh. Computer, please bring up Leon Trotsky and Frank Church. Okay, so, tell me, Aaron, what is Leon Trotsky best known for? Leon Trotsky is best known for being a Marxist revolutionary. That's basically it. Oh. It's okay. solid. Okay. Uh-huh. Oh, what does he look like? Well, he looks exactly the fuck like Steve Harrington from Stranger Things. Oh, I, I made a meme for the Facebook page. That's how close they are. Thing is, Trotsky's appearance makes a major shift about the time he hits 30, and he starts growing a beard. Nice. He also develops that terrible syndrome known as crazy eyes, and on all of his photos post-beard, it looks like he's trying to melt something with his mind. <laughs> he's got a goatee almost as bad as mine, a great bushy head of hair, and those strange matrix spectacles with no temples. Oh. The temples being the technical term for those arms and glasses that stretch way back over your ears. Oh, right. You know, okay. You know. Well, that's interesting. So, uh, what was Frank Church best known for? Frank Church is best known for being an American. American politician, patriot, and hero or villain, depending Whoa. on you know, your political fuse. Oh, okay. Well, that's always fun. I, th I think he's a hero. Oh, okay. Okay. Yes. Good to know. Yes. 
Well, in that case, I'll have to say he's a villain, just so oh, we have well. a devil's advocate. We'll definitely have to talk about the debates later. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, what did he look like? Well, here is Mr. Church, here is the steeple, <laughs> open it up, and here are his people. We are his people, all Americans are his people. Y did you even look at a photo <laughs> of him? <laughs> yeah. God um, damn it. He's white, he's a little pudgy, and he looks like a politician. Oh, great. There's really not more to it. <laughs> so, just a slightly piggish face, is that what you're saying? Uh, it depends on how you look at it. Okay, yeah. alright. Well, <clears throat> I say we just roll right over into Leon Trotsky's early life. Let's trot right into it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, first off, uh, Leon Trotsky has a secret. Ooh. And the secret is that Trotsky is not his real name. Those oh. are oh. Trotsky was born with the name Lev Davidovich Bronstein in the Oof. cold Russian November of 1879. His family was Ukrainian and wealthy, but like most Russians at the time, he lived in the middle of bungfuck nowhere. <laughs> his town was so small that it didn't even have a post office, oh. but his family was there for a good reason. Apparently, okay. it had a very vibrant Jewish community, and Trotsky's parents wanted that kind of setup for their kids. Got it. Later on, the fact that Trotsky was Jewish would be used against him in propaganda and whatnot, which, as always, is bad. There it is again. Uh, but the thing is, the family did not actually practice Judaism. They were just Jewish by blood. Oh, cool. So, worth, worth knowing. Yeah. So, uh, nevertheless, when Trotsky was eight, his parents carted him off to Odessa to board at a Jewish school. Hmm. Now, this may sound like he's being cornered in kind of a closed-off life. Yeah. Um, I mean, he grew up in a Jewish community and a Jewish family, and now he's going to a Jewish school. But here's the thing. Okay. Odessa was a great big port city. Mm. And is a great big port city. It's not like a gone or anything. <laughs> um, it has all kinds of different cultural exposures at hand. And as I know from personal experience, and I'm sure as I'm sure a lot of our listeners do too, simply being exposed to lots of different kinds of people is just good for the soul. Don't believe it? Never will. Okay. Right, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Trotsky had that exact experience interacting with many different ideas, traditions, and people, which turned him from a dusty farm boy with limited life experience to a regular, well-cultured city slicker. Nice. In Odessa, he also learned a word working variety of French, English, and German, oh. and gained a lot of friends by doing so. Huh. Yeah. At 17, he was a bright young man with a great future ahead of him. Nice. At this time, he decided to move to another city called, at the time, Nikolaev, uh, which was another port on the Black Sea, in order to study mathematics at the university. Oh, okay. Yeah. While he was there, fate happened. Oh, no. He met a woman named Alexandra Sokolovskia. Sokolovskia. I think, uh, who was a Russian Marxist revolutionary. Oh dear, there it is. Now, at the time, Trotsky was not yet a Marxist. In fact, okay. he was kind of anti-Marxist. Hmm. Um, but after meeting Alexandra, his views began to change. Ah, uh, the old woman's mm. got a hold on mm -hmm. him. And his whole outlook on life began to change, too. He even stopped studying mathematics in order to prioritize his newfound views on Marxism. Oh dear. Which had him writing leaflets full of revolutionary Marxist ideas. Mm. These he would distribute to factory workers and the like, encouraging them to throw down their tools and come out against the powers above them. Good. The leaflets began to make some noise, too, and became popular with industrial workers, but especially college students. Uh, doesn't surprise no. me. <laughs> Not much has changed. No. <laughs> uh, but this couldn't go on for long, obviously. Communism right. is, a, is a problem worldwide for a lot of countries. They're well, Russia's still a monarchy, right? Right, right. Yeah, Ru yeah. Russia's a monarchy at this time. No, no communism has invaded 
Yeah, well, I mean, it's there, but, you know. Right. You get what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, they were already dealing with it on a low level, is what I'm saying. And this is still something around, you know, 20 years before World War One and the Russian Revolution. Right. Uh, in January of 1898, when Trotsky was 19, he and 200 other members of his little revolution were arrested. Oh, jeez. Uh, for two years, right up to the turn of the century, Trotsky was carted around Russia to stand trial in multiple cities, spending all that time in prison. Jeez. Yeah. But it wasn't all bad for him. He still had Alexandra Sokolovsky with him, and he actually got married to her uh, in prison uh, <laughs> with a Jewish chaplain. That you can do that? Yeah, apparently. Oh, wow. Uh, and less than a year later, he was sentenced to four years in exile in Siberia. Oh. And that's where we leave Trotsky for now. And when we come back to him, we'll be digging into his tumultuous adult life. Huh. You know, I was going to say something great about Russian prisons when you said that they could get married in them. Uh, but then you had the Siberia part, which kind of reminded me. Right, that's, me. that's yeah. a little, little, little different. Anyway. Yes. So uh, why don't you just tell us about uh, Frank Church's early life? I actually need to take a break. Oh, okay. Uh, get the mashed potatoes out of the refrigerator and shove them up my butt. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Fuck that! <laughs> Seven, eight, nine. <laughs> okay. Oh, and welcome back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we were talking about Leon Trotsky. But now James is going to tell us something about Frank Church's early life. Yes. So, take it away, James. Frank Church was born and raised in the good old town of Boise, Idaho in 1924. His dad owned a sporting goods store and took Frank and his brother on a lot of fishing, hunting, and hiking outings in the Idaho mountains, which are actually just giant potatoes. Uh, 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 now I can check off the make a potato joke because Idaho has mentioned checkbox, <laughs> and we're good to go. Okay. <laughs> uh, so Frank's family was pretty conservative and also Catholic, and Frank attended St. Joseph's School growing up where he was generally called by his nickname of Frosty. <laughs> That's a great nickname. That uh, is not relevant to anything else in the story, but uh, I had to say I'm it. just curious <laughs> if there's a story, but I'm sure there is. I just don't know. I didn't see it. Yeah. Mm. Stay Frosty. Mm. Mr. Church. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, growing up, Frank greatly admired William E. Bora, who was an outspoken politician in Idaho and who supported acts like isolation, isolationism, not getting America involved with the newly created League of Nations, uh, and things like okay. that. Okay, okay. Oh, there's a lot more on this dude, but he's not the guy we're covering, so moving on. Good. All right. Uh, anyway, Frank wanted to be like him, just oh. like a famous and patriotic politician. Good to know. Yes. So Frank Church did really well in high school. He served as student body, pre body president and also won the American Legion National Oratorical Contest, <laughs> which basically allowed him to choose any college he wanted. Whoa! Yeah. Uh, he got a lot of money for that. Wow. So he enrolled at Stanford University in 1942. Good choice. Wait. Wait. 1942? The 40? What? Oh my what? gosh! Aaron, do you know what time it is? Oh no! It's time for World War II! Oh! Yes! Wow! It's <laughs> invigorating every time! It is! Oh. Uh, I love war. <laughs> I'm kidding, I'm not. Anyway. Okay, so Frank enlisted in the U.S. Army in 1942 and then received uh, officer training at Fort Benning in Georgia. Okay. He was commissioned as a second lieutenant in 1944 and worked with military intelligence 
intelligence in the China-Burma-India theater, Whoa. which is badass. Yeah. <laughs> uh, after the war, Frank returned to Stanford to finish his schooling and received a bachelor's degree in history in 1947. What? Just like you! Yeah, well, except not Stanford. And not 1947. <laughs> uh, yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, that same year, Frank married Bethine Clark, who was the daughter of a former Democratic governor of Idaho and state judge. Okay. Uh, there will be more on her later. The two were kind of a political power couple. Okay. Uh, but for now, Frank then entered Harvard Law School. Wow, all the big ones. <laughs> uh, and then transferred to Stanford Law School because the cold winters in Massachusetts were giving Frank lower back pain. Oh. Uh, uh, turns out the cold wasn't the cause of the pain, though, because Aaron, do you know what time it is? What the? We already had... It's World time War. for testicular cancer. What, what the <laughs> shit? <laughs> what? Oh. Uh, anyway, yes. Frank actually had testicular cancer, and it was really serious. Oh, shit! Uh, he was only expected to live for a few months. Uh, but after one of his testicles and several glands in his lower abdomen were removed, he made a total recovery. Well, good for him. Yes. Uh, but this near-death experience had an impact on him, and he later stated, quote, Life itself is such a chancy proposition that the only way to live is by taking great chances. Whoa, I yeah, like that. I do too. Mm -hmm. uh, Frank then graduated from Stanford Law School and returned to Boise to teach public schooling, or public speaking, <laughs> <laughs> and practice law. Okay. Uh, he and Bethine also had two sons. Nice. Uh, one of them. I think is alive today oh, or something. Maybe cool. both. I don't remember. Uh, and that is where we will leave Mr. Church for now. Uh, we'll get to the juicy stuff later. And speaking of juicy, to our male listeners, if oh. you ever feel that your testicles are overly juicy, what? please see a doctor. Testicular cancer. I did not joke. approve of this script. <laughs> <laughs> what? Wow. It's important. They need to know. <laughs> oh my God. Yes. Wow. Well, you know what? I think we should just bite the bullet and get into Trotsky's adult life. Okay. Uh, because it's a lot, but it's also fascinating. Yes. So, let's just go. Okay. All right. So, when we last heard from Ch Trotsky, he'd just gotten married to Alexandra Sokolovskia, Sokolovskia uh, and was being transferred to exile in Siberia for his revolutionary writings. Mm. But the good thing is, Alexandra got to go with him, and the two never had to be separated. Aww. Now, you may envision exile in Siberia as being like... Breaking rocks for 24 hours a day, subsisting on gruel, and fighting bears. Yep. Uh, and it was a lot like that. Oh. Uh, but Trotsky put himself to work in a different way than just breaking rocks. Okay. Here in his first exile, he went to work uh, studying classic Marxist works and philosophy. Hmm. Uh, he also kept writing and even started giving public lectures in some of the villages where he was imprisoned. Nice. Yeah. Through all of this, he met several fellow revolutionaries, including a guy named Felix... Zerzinski. Oh. I think that's how you pronounce uh, it. Looks right. <laughs> uh, who is best known for his later acts in establishing and leading the Soviet secret police. Oh. Yeah. So, making <laughs> okay. good friends is yes. what I'm saying. Uh, Trotsky also wrote a lot about peasant life and how bad it is, especially in Siberia in 1902. Understandable. <laughs> yes. A lot of his essays were actually really good and got published all over the place, even in Western Europe, huh. uh, which is startling for that time period, really. Yeah. Anyway, though, he got the attention of what was called the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party, mm. which was a political movement in Russia that aimed to unite all the little revolutionary sects in Russia into one united front. Good idea. Uh, at this, I mean, at this point, people are pretty upset with the czar and right. everything because, you know, it's, well, looking like there's going to be a world war at some point and, you know, all the rest. Peasants are hungry. Yeah, everyone's just hungry. Yeah. And so this uh, Russian Social Democratic Labor Party has a flag uh -huh. and it's just a solid red block which may, oh. may or may not tell you something significant. They love blood. 
Uh, <laughs> you're gonna regret that oh, joke. No. <laughs> uh, no, I'm sorry. Within the, within the Russian Social Democratic Labor Party, you had two schools of thought. Okay. One of these schools was known as the economist position, and their focus was on helping industrial workers at the ground level instead of worrying too much about the monarchy. Okay. The other position was known as the Iskra position, which was very, very much about overthrowing the Russian monarchy. Uh-huh. Now, Trotsky sided with these guys. Ooh. He believed the monarchy was the source of all the economic problems going on in Russia, and that they had to be rooted out and destroyed in order to establish a truly Marxist state. Mm, kind of makes sense. Yeah. Now, Trotsky's writings were very successful, and his lectures well-received by his followers. Hmm. But Trotsky still had one big problem. Yes? He was in Siberia. Oh. <laughs> so, at the urging of his wife, Trotsky pulled a classic escape maneuver and buried himself in a hay wagon that was headed out of the country. This actually worked! And his family Whoa. soon followed, escaping by shipping themselves out in a postage box addressed to anywhere Russian. That, that's a joke. Oh. I, I don't actually know how they got no. out. Uh, uh, but he got out with his family? Yeah, his family came after him. Oh, cool. uh, But anyway, so he heads to London, uh, taking on the pseudonym that we all know him for, Leon mm. Trotsky. So yes. remember up to this point, his name was Lev uh, right. or something like that. But anyway, so uh, the name is said to have come from a jailer that he liked in Odessa. Oh. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, in London, Trotsky started writing for a paper called The Spark, mm. publishing under another pseudonym, Pero, I think that's how you pronounce it, which is Russian for feather or pen. Okay. Um, he saw remarkable success, too, and it's here he met with a guy uh, by the name of Vladimir Lenin. <laughs> oh, that guy. <laughs> who, at this time, saw Trotsky as an absolute boon to the paper. Ah. He wrote of Trotsky in 1903, uh, Trotsky is unquestionably a man of rare abilities. He has conviction and energy, and he will go much farther. Wow, that, that was... I had to clap. That was pretty good. Well, the point is, yes. Lenin really liked him. Okay. Um, I but, wonder how long that'll last. Yeah. Well, just get ready. Okay. So at this point, Trotsky's first marriage with Alexander Sokolovskia, Sokolovskia, I get it. Uh-huh. Uh, had fallen apart, oh. and the two had gotten divorced. Uh. Amicably, though, which is nice. They stayed yeah. friends until the end. Okay. Uh, he remarried to a woman named Natalia Ivanovna Sadova, and the two had two children together, uh, but both of these children would die prematurely in their 20s. Oh, their 20s? Yeah, it kind of wow. sucks. Anyway, it's 1903, and the Russian Socialist Democratic Labor Party is having some problems. Okay. There's that split, if you remember, between the anti-monarchists and the economists. Right. The split widens, and two distinct groups emerge. Uh. And these groups are the Mensheviks and the Bolsheviks. I only recognize one of those. Yeah, so the Mensheviks... Uh, Menshevik meant minority, uh-huh. and Bolshevik meant majority. Huh. The Mensheviks wanted a larger and less disciplined party, uh, but they were less radicalized and far more liberal than the Bolsheviks. Hmm. The Bolsheviks, however, wanted a small and highly organized party. Okay. And so there's... Obviously, these two things can't go together. There's some right. factional strife between the true, and Trotsky does his best to quell the arguments. Okay. Uh, he calls himself in 1904, after a brief stint siding with the Mensheviks, a, quote, non-factional social democrat, in order to be, uh, avoid being thrown in with the Bolsheviks or the Mensheviks. Okay. Seems smart. Yeah, he wants to sit on the fence. Right. Yeah. But Lenin doesn't like fence-sitting, ah. uh, and really didn't think too much of Trotsky after this time. He called him Judas and a swine. Whoa, that really ex- escalated. Right, but remember, 
remember, Lenin is a Bolshevik, and right. they're much more radicalized than the Mensheviks. So sure. Those kinds of swings and opinion on people are just going to happen. I guess it makes sense. Yeah. So while this factional silliness is occurring, however, the real revolution is beginning outside these little meetings. Mm. In 1905, a strike breaks out in St. Petersburg at a rolling stock factory uh, called the Putilov Works. Hmm. Five days later, there are 140,000 strikers in St. Petersburg. Oh, Jesus. And they're all mad about just what you think. <laughs> these workers are starving, freezing, and underpaid. Mm. Meanwhile, they see the Tsar and all his regal pomp cavorting around the country like a self-entitled god, withholding provision for his people in order to maintain an extravagant lifestyle. Yeah, yeah, I'd be mad too. Yeah. <laughs> Figures are contradictory, uh, but... Somewhere between 3,000 and 50,000 people, I know oh. it's a wide margin, we'll talk okay. about that later, <laughs> head straight to the Winter Palace, not to take it over, as you might think, uh, but to simply beg for food. Oh, God. Yeah. And they were being led by this man named Father, uh, I think it's Georgi uh, Gapon, uh, and they were described as quiet, careful, and respectful. Okay. Basically, what happens is this. Gapon leads his followers in hymn singing, including a performance of God Save the Tsar. Oh, wow. Uh, the Tsar was not actually in the palace, however, but he is very much aware of what's going on. Okay. Um, there were 10,000 Cossacks oh, and no. regular infantry guarding the palace. Right. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> what they saw approaching the palace square was truly freaking them out. <laughs> yeah. The police who had so far been trying to quell the demonstrators, had actually joined them. Oh, dear. <laughs> and in a moment that changed history forever and shaped our world today in an unimaginable capacity, the Cossacks, aided by a cavalry unit, oh, no. charged the demonstrators, sabers drawn, and began cutting down the civilians. Oh, jeez. Other groups demonstrating near the palace were met with, rain of gun with oh, a rain of God. gunfire. Uh, now again, figures are contradictory. Right. Pre-revolutionary or pro-revolutionary sources, which again have an agenda, mm -hmm. claim that four thousand people were killed in this massacre. Pro-Tsarist sources say that only ninety-six were killed and three hundred and thirty-three injured. Okay. Moderate estimates sit at about one thousand people. It's still a lot of people. It's still a fuck ton of people, <laughs> yeah. and it's still putting down a hungry, peaceful, peaceful angry mob yeah, demonstrations. Um, with guns. Like, that's Ugh. not helping your case. No. Now, the <laughs> Tsar himself is actually not happy about this at all. He called the event painful and sad. Okay, good. Um, but the revolutionaries simply see it as the first spark in a barn fire. Right. This event upset Trotsky so much that he left London and went to St. Petersburg. Hmm. There, he worked with both Bolsheviks and Mensheviks to spread propaganda in the city. Huh. However, he had a brief flight to Finland in 1905 after a secret police agent betrayed his movement. Uh, but, like I said, it was brief. Okay. He was back only a few months later, and on the day he returned, he spoke to 200,000 people <sighs> about the importance of a revolution. Wow. Shortly before this, though, uh, the Mensheviks had organized the first council of a new revolutionary organization known as the St. Petersburg Soviet. Uh, mm. Soviet meaning council. Okay. So, Trotsky joined the Soviet under another pseudonym, uh, Yanovsky. He really likes changing the names. Yeah, but it's, <laughs> I mean, he's, at this point, he's a, a controversial journalist on the run from the Tsar. Do you need a break? <laughs> I'm, I'm old. <laughs> okay. Trotsky joined the Soviet under another pseudonym, Yanovsky, uh, named after his home village, and hmm. was elected vice chairman. Nice. And when the chairman was arrested, 
Trotsky took his job, oh. so now he's the chairman huh. of the Soviet. Right. Um, and he issues a statement a week later in December of 1905. The statement is as follows, and I'm not going to use a Russian accent because um, it's long. Okay. <laughs> he says, The autocracy never enjoyed the confidence of the people and was never granted any authority by the people. Hmm. We have therefore decided not to allow the repayment of such loans as have been made by the czarist government when openly engaged in a war with its entire people. Oh. Basically saying that nobody's going to pay any more taxes to the czar. Right. Okay. okay, that makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. The next day, the Soviet was raided, and Trotsky, among others, was arrested. Ugh. Yeah, he was tried with supporting an armed rebellion, and in 1906, he was sentenced to exile in Siberia again. Oh, there it is. Uh, en route to his exile location, though, Trotsky escaped by donning a trench coat, a fake mustache, and sunglasses. Uh, he knows how to escape. Yeah. <laughs> no. Well, it didn't happen like that, but it's funnier to imagine. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so he goes straight back to London, uh, then to Vienna, where he works for seven years with the Austrian Social Democratic Party and the German Social Democratic Party. Okay. Now, this is actually something that I should talk about real quick. Um, L uh, L God, Trotsky. I almost said Lenin. <laughs> Trotsky was focused on this this philosophical idea called uh, what is it called? It's something like the Eternal Revolution. Okay. Where his goal is not to just spread Marxism to Russia; it's to spread it to the entire world. Got it. Right. Yeah. Um. So that's why he's working with these social democratic parties in both of these countries. Because right. He he believes in the idea so strongly that he thinks it should be everywhere. Okay. Um. So anyway, while while there, uh, he works as an editor for Pravda, which is a newspaper that was Marxist in nature. Mm -hmm. The paper was really popular with Russian industrial uh, the Russian industrial populace and took off pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, Lenin himself offers to help fund the paper. Paper, ah. <laughs> so long as a Bolshevik gets to be the co-editor. Ah, okay. Uh, but amidst all the factional struggles between the Bolsheviks and the Mensheviks, the paper eventually drowned in 1912. Hmm. Uh, but that same year, the Bolsheviks started another newspaper called Pravda and started publishing much more radicalized Bolshevik material than the old Pravda. Hmm. And Trotsky does not like that one bit and sends a letter to a Menshevik leader kind of bitching about Lenin and the Bolsheviks. Huh. Uh, the letter was intercepted by oh, the Russian course. police <laughs> and was later used to portray Trotsky as an enemy of Lenin when communi communism had taken full hold of Russia. Oh. Right, and that'll come up later. <laughs> All those years later. Yeah, years later. Wow. Uh, so even so, the Bolsheviks start doing more Bolshevik things in Bolshevik by the newspaper. Okay. So they start <laughs> robbing banks and looting stores and all other kinds of mad things like that uh, in order to get more money for the party. Nice. And Trotsky doesn't like that either. I, I kind of respect Trotsky. Yeah, really. Um, yeah. That's the thing. Well, and we'll, when we sum up at the end, we'll have a, a nice picture of yeah. Trotsky and all this. But you know what? That's okay, because guess what time it is? Well, what time is it, Aaron? It's time for World War One. Oh my god! <laughs> Okay. So in 1914, Russia joins the war to fight Austria-Hungary, and Trotsky is forced to flee Vienna and go to Switzerland to avoid arrest. Okay. But that same year, he is sent to France to report on the war for his newest radical newspaper, Kievskia Mizl. Hmm. I think that's how you pronounce it. That sounds radical. Uh, in Paris, uh, a whole bunch of stuff happens, but it's all very small. But basically, the result is that Trotsky makes it known that he thinks World War I is a waste and should cease immediately... And ends up getting himself deported from France for being anti-war. Oh, come on. So he's sent to Spain. They say, nah. And he's <laughs> deported to, what the fuck, the United States? Wait, he made it here? Yeah. So in <laughs> there he is. <laughs> in 1916, Leon Trotsky watch walks the streets of New York City, probably right past the future location of Trump Tower. <laughs> Definitely. So he's there for three months until it finally happens. Oh. The February Revolution sees the Soviets overthrowing the Tsar. And Trotsky's like, I gotta be there to see that. Right. So he leaves the Big Apple and boards a ship for Russia. 
Um, however, remember, World War One is still going on. Oh, uh, okay. So, sailing to Russia, yeah. Um, his Dangerous. ship was intercepted. Right. Uh, and Trotsky was imprisoned in a camp in Nova Scotia. Interesting. Yeah. Wait, so he's... Who captured him? Uh, the British, actually. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, in this prison camp, Trotsky starts giving lectures again. Some of the German POWs there get pretty pissed off seeing this Marxism being preached, uh, and they complain, <laughs> so Trotsky's banned from speaking. Oh. But that's not so bad, because in the April of 1917, Trotsky is released and is allowed to go back to Russia. Right. Yeah. After all this, Trotsky has a lot more Bolshevist feelings than he did before. Prison will do that to him. Yeah. <laughs> so he's, again, he's became a little bit radicalized yeah. after this. Um, anyway, so he was elected chairman of the Petrograd Soviet and throws his hat in with Lenin, okay. leading the efforts to deal a final blow to the Russian provisional government. Stalin himself congratulates Trotsky the next year. Ooh. So, yeah. Stalin <laughs> and Lenin like this Stalin guy. Stalin and Lenin are, are, you know... They're there. They like him right now. <laughs> uh, anyway, he works his way up to literally being second in command of the Bolshevik party wow. just behind Lenin. Huh. Uh, in late 1917, Trotsky became the com commissar... For foreign affairs and Brest-Litovsk, and okay. opens talks with the Germans, who, if you remember, are at war with the old Russian government. Right. Nevertheless, the new Soviet government makes peace with Germany. They've got their own problems. Right. So <laughs> the czarists are like, no, no, we're still fighting Austria-Hungary. <laughs> and, yeah. and the Soviets are like, why? No. <laughs> yeah, why? And then, yeah. no, you're not. You're fighting us. Yeah. Yeah. So Trotsky noticed something about the war with Germany that stood out to him rather bluntly. Huh. The Red Army sucked. <laughs> <laughs> they had been completely rolled over by German forces all the way up until the treaty, which, oh. while harsh, had saved the new state from being destroyed the moment it was realized. Right. And even with Germany out of the picture, there was still the Russian Civil War to fight. Okay. So Trotsky made moves to fix the problem, and in doing so, found himself being promoted to the head of the Red Army. Wow. Now, you don't think <laughs> leader of an army when you think Trotsky no. most of the time. So, But he immediately starts making huge changes to the army. Okay. And it goes from being an absolute rabble to becoming a strict and ferocious war machine. Jeez. Uh, his policies included forced conscriptions, boo, yeah. <laughs> obedience of orders, or else you got shot. Oh, shit. Uh, and officers chosen by the leadership. Which, okay. Yeah. So the Red Army and the White Army, the White Army's the Czarists, okay. are now squared off. Yeah. World War One is no longer their problem. It's their arena. Hmm. The Red Army grew from 300,000 soldiers in May 1918 to over 1 million in October. God. <laughs> yeah. Meanwhile, something fucked is going on in the White Army. It's called the White Terror. Oh, I remember that from Game of Thrones. <laughs> uh, the White Terror is not from Game of Thrones. Oh, um, right. It's the British in South Africa. No, oh, it's not fuck. that either. <laughs> Jesus Christ. What is it? The White Terror is basically something like an organized human extermination project. Oh, it's worse than... Every yeah, okay. it's way worse. Uh, it was mainly composed of mass killings at the hands of czarists. Huh. Anyone who resists the czarist is killed without question. Okay. And... For example, if even one villager comes out with a gun against the White Army, the whole village populace is executed and their buildings burn. Oh, God. So the White Terror finally huh. gets to a man named Moise Oritsky, a secret police officer called Acheka, and mm -hmm. is assassinated by the White Army. 
and this is the final straw for the Soviets. Okay. Uh, do you remember Felix Zerzinski? The guy oh, that, yeah, Tol- yeah, yeah. that Tolstoy, God damn it, that Trotsky <laughs> mess. <laughs> Trotsky <laughs> met in prison. Yeah. Well, we're back to him now. Got it. Uh, the Bolsheviks put him on as a leader of the secret police and ordered him to commence a red terror. Oh, no. Which is the exact same shit as the white terror. Shit. So these two terrors put together amount to a half a million lives lost to this violent new policy. Uh, interestingly enough, though, the White Terror killed 300,000 people, while the Red Terror killed 200,000 people. Oh, jeez. They were both bad. Yeah. Um, and probably the Red Terror got less because there were, at this time, fewer. Right. Um, and yeah, also, they started later, so... They'd get their purges later in, though. Yeah, but here's the other <laughs> thing. Trotsky approved of it, ah. too. Wholeheartedly. Okay. Mm-hmm. Fight fire with fire, I guess. Right, right. Uh, it's controversial, to say the least. Yeah. But anyway, by 1919, the Red Army had three million soldiers, wow. many of whom were deserters from the White Army. <laughs> the war was raging on fucking 16 fronts. Oh, Jesus. And the White Army is just losing horribly. Right. But they aren't done fighting and show up at Petrograd. Now, Lenin is like, let's pull all our guys out of Petrograd and just defend Moscow. Um, let's just abandon it because Moscow's the, the city we want. It's the prize. Yeah. So Trotsky says, uh, no, uh, Petrograd must be defended hmm. and actually wins the vote after being supported by Stalin. Oh. Trotsky personally went to Petrograd, personally went to Petrograd, <laughs> wow. uh, and organized a new defense. And there's a report that he personally stopped some fleeing soldiers before re-energizing them and claiming victory. Wow. After this, the Red Army just pretty much won the war. Wow. Yeah. I, I have to say something real quick. Sure. Did you know that dur- during this battle between the Red and White Army, that America and a couple other of the Allied nations sent about 10 to, to between 10 and 15,000 soldiers to Russia to fight against the Reds? Whoa! Yeah. No one's ever heard of it, but we invaded Russia <laughs> during the Civil War. Was there a name for that event? I can't remember what it is. There, You can find it really easily. That's insane. But it was a total disaster for the Allies. We just got... Oh, wait, I remember this. Yeah. I heard about this in a history class. Yeah, they just got butchered and, yeah. and froze, and that's mm-hmm. why... I, that's probably why we never hear about it. Wow. But yeah, I want to say it was between ten and 15,000 Allied troops just that's, to help the whites. That's fascinating. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, anyway, so uh, we they just won the war, right? Okay. Yes. Uh, well, they didn't just win. They're still working, but it's pretty much they just won. Yeah, almost. just cleaning up. Yeah. So in 1924, Lenin dies, mm. right? And Trotsky was the second man in power. Okay. So yeah. right, he's gonna take power, but yeah. oh, oh no, no, Stalin is gonna be the next Ooh. leader. <laughs> yep. Through some vague political maneuvering, Stalin secured himself the position as the new supreme leader. Okay. Though not the head of the government. Huh. Yeah. So, Stalin himself is actually kind of worth, worth looking at here. Sure. So he had a problem with Trotsky mainly because he had problems with Lenin. And okay. Lenin had sort of built up what you might describe what you might describe as a cultic following. Right? They right. call these people Leninists. They yeah. couldn't really be des- described as Bolshevists anymore. They were just Leninists. They like Lenin. Okay. Uh, Trotsky believed strongly in the importance of Marxism, which meant that he wasn't looking for, you know, a new king. <laughs> yeah, right. right? <laughs> he doesn't like Leninism. He doesn't like Stalinism. He cares about Marxism. Yeah. So, uh, but Lenin was beginning to act like a king. Okay. Uh, and Stalin wanted that for himself and for Russia. <sighs> a supreme leader was exactly the kind of position he had dreamed of. And when an opportunity be- to become such a leader presented itself, 
himself, Stalin took advantage of it. Of course he did. He and his posse criticized Trotsky on three main things. They were just trying to get rid of him because, again, he's a problem. He's getting in the way of Stalinism. Right, yeah. To promote Marxism. Yeah. And uh, if he was once, you know, set up to be second in control, there's going to be problems with that later right, on. Right, right. And, of course, he has his fans and supporters yeah. and everything. So, uh, first, the, the, the critic, they started raising these criticisms against Trotsky sure. and all the papers and things. So, the firstly, they said that Trotsky didn't like Lenin. And, of course, this pissed off the Leninists. They're yeah. like, ah, oh, he's anti-Lenin, therefore he's anti-Marxism. Uh, like, they conflated yeah. the two. Huh. Secondly, Trotsky had allegedly distorted his importance uh, in the events of 1917, making himself look a lot more important than he actually was. That's what they said. Huh. They said that about him. Yeah. Doesn't mean it's true, but that's what the, that's what they said. That's what the papers were saying. Hmm. Thirdly, they accused him of being harsh towards his subordinates and making lots of mistakes during the Russian Civil War. It sounds like he did a pretty good job, though. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they, you know, turn the story. The media right. controls it. I mean, you know, the media controls everything, James. Oh, God. God. <laughs> Wake up, sheeple. <laughs> uh, of course, there was nothing Trotsky could do to save himself from this war machine that yeah. is the press in Russia. Shit. Uh, so his revolution had happened, and this new kind of king, who claimed he was not king at all, had risen to power. <laughs> Classic. And now he was about to be ousted. Trotsky, that is. Not yes. the new king. Uh, they tried to get rid of him by offering him a shitty job, and when he refused it, they simply said that he was actively trying to sabotage the new state by not taking it. I picture it like just selling ice cream on the side of a road. Yeah, well, I mean, think if he took the job. They'd probably print a story about how Trotsky had been, you know, demoted and was now, yeah. you know, in his place or whatever. And if he had, you know, said probably no. would have been the smarter idea. Yeah, but, I mean, Trotsky's a... He feels like he really cared about this revolution. He does care yeah. about this revolution. He yeah. cares very much about his ideas. And he sees these Stalinists coming in and messing everything up. And he's like, you know, guys, we don't need a cult. We need a state. Yeah. Um, but it didn't work out that way. Mm. So anyway, um, <clears throat> all this time, Trotsky was very sick. So he couldn't do anything about this nonsense. He mm. couldn't even make speeches or write anything. Wow. Um, so they took away uh, his control of the army and forced him to resign from his other chairs as well. Hmm. In 1925, Stalin's cronies tried to expel Trotsky from the Communist Party, but that didn't amount to much. In fact, Stalin actually stepped in and said, no, guys, come on now. He's a <laughs> communist. Yeah. <clears throat> Nevertheless, he was basically unemployed in 1925. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so imagine wow. that rise to power yeah. and then that fall. Wow. But anyway, Trotsky, because he's a Marxist, a real Marxist, yeah. got sucked into a new alliance. Um, okay. With the question of Bolshevism and Menshevism pretty much behind the country, uh, now there is a question of communism or real Marxism and Stalinism. Ah. Predictably, Trotsky was not a Stalin fan. Right. <laughs> so he got involved with another revolutionary group known as the United Opposition, which was very anti Anti-Stalin. Man, you never hear about this. No, it's very, it's like all very political. And yeah, fascinating. But um, the Stalinists began to attack the United Opposition almost immediately after it was formed. Hmm. Stalin sent secret police to infiltrate and sabotage the opposition. Oh, so it was bloody. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Trotsky was trying to give a speech one time, and Stalinists interrupted him so much he couldn't finish his speech. <laughs> Terrible. Um, they Douchebags. Would just, they would just bark out noises. They wouldn't, weren't asking questions. Palpatine's or, behind it all. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, so this united opposition was also harried and members uh, were arrested for fake charges, oh. that kind of thing. Oh. Meanwhile, Stalin was fumbling around with Chinese affairs and mm. ended up creating something like a disaster zone in the country. <laughs> uh, there was the Northern Expedition, an armed Soviet invasion of northern China that was meant to oust warlords hold up there. Uh, but that went very poorly, and oh. it looks like Stalin looked like Stalin's approach to international affairs had been rightly criticized by Trotsky. Huh. So, 
A hit for hit for Trotsky. I yeah, guess. Uh, but of course Stalin began blaming the United Opposition for the failure of the Northern Expedition. Okay, <laughs> and the Stalinists began to sabotage the United Opposition even more. Ah. <laughs> Finally, in 1927, Stalin expelled Trotsky from the Central Committee and then expelled him from the Communist Party altogether. No. And then Trotsky was exiled to Kazakhstan uh, and then banished from the Soviet Union altogether. Oh. He was sent away to Turkey in 1929. That's kind of sad. Now think about it. That's a whirlwind. This yeah. guy goes from being just some journalist... That's right, yeah. ...to being a revolutionary leader, the head of an army, <laughs> winning the war over the Tsarists... Yeah. And now he's been kicked out of the country because Jeez. he's anti-Stalin. Which is super interesting, I think. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, without Trotsky as a figurehead in the United Opposition mm -hmm. uh, to oppose Stalinism, the United Opposition failed. Ugh. Most of the leaders of the opposition confessed to their sins against Stalin and were welcomed back into the Communist Party. Oh, wow. Uh, those who didn't were finally hunted down and executed in the 1936-1938 uh, great purges. Ah, which, yes. Yeah, <laughs> I've heard know, about those. You know about those? A little bit. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. Basically, anyone who was anti-Stalin was murdered, and yeah. tens of millions of people yeah. were murdered. Millions of <laughs> yes. people. Millions, not thousands. Millions. Yeah. Ugh, that's terrible. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I just remember hearing about them just shooting people in a basement so much that their guns would wear out. Oh God. But, yeah. Anyway, in 1929, however, Trotsky was living in a hotel. He was on the run from the Stalinists, white army officers who had survived the war, oh. and Turkish police who suspected him of being up to something. Okay. So France offers him asylum, which he accepts, even though it put him under French surveillance as well. Right. Uh, eventually, though, even France had had enough of this controversial figure and deported Trotsky to Norway in 1935. <laughs> so these guys just get kicked all yeah. over the world. Um Anyway, so in 1936, however, the Soviet press announced that they had discovered a conspiracy led by Trotsky to take over the Soviet government. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> After they exiled him. Yeah. Uh, of course, it wasn't actually happening. Right. <laughs> Trotsky's so-called conspirators were rounded up and shot. Oh, God. And Stalin sent men to Norway to silence Trotsky. Huh. Norway, working with the Soviet leadership, laid down some harsh restrictions. He wouldn't, Trotsky wouldn't be allowed to write anymore, to speak anymore, or even leave his house for more than two hours a day. Wow. <laughs> um, to go for walks. Ta wow, Norway was really kissing Stalin's yeah. ass. <laughs> uh, and eventually the walks were taken away too. Oh, God. So he's just on house arrest for, <laughs> for nothing. <laughs> so uh, finally Trotsky and his family were even deported from Norway and sent to Mexico aboard an oil ship. Oh. Yeah. So Trotsky arrives in Mexico in January 1937. Hmm. Here he's welcomed personally by the president and is taken to live in Diego Rivera's home, uh, who's a painter, yeah. uh, where he immediately had an affair with a, uh, Diego Rivera's wife. <laughs> Classic. Yeah, so he couldn't stay there anymore and was at last moved a few blocks away. Um, during this time, he was writing some very strong anti-Stalin stuff, predicting a new revolution, just like the last, where the new king went down just like the old one. Okay. Meanwhile, Stalin organized a show trial to put Trotsky on trial again for conspiracy. <laughs> Everyone who was accused of being involved was executed, except Trotsky just wasn't there, so they couldn't kill him. Right. Um, but in 1940, Trotsky was in ill health. You know, World War II's already going on. Sure. And he wrote in the February of that year the following thoughts about his life's work. Okay. And I think this is very interesting. Hmm. So here's a quote. <clears throat> 
For 43 years of my conscious life, I have remained a revolutionist. For 42 of them, I have fought under the banner of Marxism. If I had to begin all over again, I would of course try to avoid this or that mistake, but the main course of my life would remain unchanged. I shall die a proletarian revolutionist, a Marxist, a dialectical materialist, and consequently an irreconcilable atheist. My faith in the communist future of mankind is not less ardent. Indeed, it is firmer today than it was in the days of my youth. Natasha has just come up to the window from the courtyard and opened it wider so that the air may enter more freely into my room. I can see the bright green strip of grass beneath the wall and the clear blue sky above the wall and sunlight everywhere. Life is beautiful. Let the future generations cleanse it of all evil, oppression, and violence and enjoy it to the full. Holy fuck. I know. <laughs> that is powerful. Isn't it? Yeah. Um, and I am not a Marxist. But no, wow. no, not at all. <laughs> I mean, but again, I, I think this is what's important here is that Trotsky was a principled man. Yeah. He found what he believed in. Yeah. And he wasn't swayed by cult personalities or, or he, he didn't, he never lost sight of the idea. Right. The idealism was like bright in his eyes the whole time. Yeah. And of course he got kicked around as that kind of person usually is. <laughs> yeah. Um, but now we're going to leave Trotsky huh. in Mexico. When we come back to him, we'll be talking about the end of his life and his death. Oh dear. Okay. Well, but uh, do we need to take a break? Well, uh, we need to take a we break. We need to take a break. I need to start a purge. <laughs> oh my god. Just of my body, okay? Oh, right. Not of You're right. Russian peasants. Okay. How many Russian peasants are in your body currently? Uh, about three. <laughs> <laughs> How do they fit in there? They're tiny. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back, everybody. Welcome back. Oh, sorry, just re-wrapped our <laughs> Welcome back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we were talking about Leon Trotsky and the entire Russian Revolution. Oh, a lot to digest. <laughs> yeah, lots to chew on. And I've already forgotten who Frank Church is, so give us a right. reminder. Uh, so Church is the guy from Idaho. Okay. He's smarter than both of us. Great. And he's ready to impact the world. Perfect. Yes. Uh, so he becomes an active Democrat and runs for the U.S. Senate in 1956. Mm, I don't know, man. Politicians. Yeah, well, we'll, we'll see. I don't know. <laughs> Controversial. But he's not a politician yet. Well, uh, he wins the election. Okay. <laughs> uh, he wins the election at age 32, and he is the fifth youngest member uh, to ever sit in the U.S. Senate. Huh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he had a very successful career as a senator and won re-election three times. Nice. Okay. Uh, he was also the only Democrat to ever win re-election as a senator in Idaho. Whoa! Because uh, Idaho is usually a very conservative state. That's really interesting. Yeah. So this kind of hints at how awesome this guy was. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you're if you've won re-election three times times in a state that's not you know right adopting your views yeah mm. uh even a lot of conservatives liked him wow uh yeah uh so now church is in the senate and starts right away by pissing off most other democrats uh by voting against them on something and basically democratic majority leader lyndon johnson oh uh yeah was so mad at church that he just completely ignored him for the next half a year whoa now that's petty yeah <laughs> they're in the lunchroom and he like turns <laughs> and church is there and church is like hey lyndon and he just Turns away with his chocolate milk. And yep, his exact Fritos. <laughs> uh, so Church befriended minority minority leader Republican William Noland. Wow. Uh, 
which actually you'll see this later on, but Church works with Republicans quite a bit, wow. which is really cool. That's interesting. Uh, like we need to see more of that. Yes, in please. Today. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but eventually, Church was able to get back on Lyndon Johnson's good side again by voting for the Civil Rights Act of 1957. Oh, good. Yeah. Uh, LBJ then kind of adopted Church and became his mentor in a way. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, well, fine. Sure, whatever. Uh, LBJ gave Church a bunch of prestigious positions, but things got kind of hairy after LBJ became president and used the whole 1964 Gulf of Tonkin incident thing to involve the United States with the Vietnam uh, War. Uh, what's the Gulf of Tonkin incident? Uh, I'm glad you ask. Uh, okay. So, Gulf of Tonkin incident on it happened on August 2nd, 1964. When North Vietnamese torpedo boats attacked a couple of United States ships. Oh. And remember that bad. America isn't officially at war with North Vietnam at this point. I see. So yeah. this is this is a... It's kind of like a Pearl Harbor sort got of it, thing. Got it, got uh, it. Anyway, President Johnson used this attack as a way to get the American people uh, in favor of the war. And, and he famously said, Our boys are drowning in the water or something famous <laughs> like that. <laughs> Uh, anyway, Congress passed the Gulf of Tonkin Resolution, which basically basically gave Johnson permission to send troops to fight communist threats in Southeast Asia. Fun. Uh, problem with this. Oh. The attack never happened. What? Or very probably never happened. What? Which is crazy, because no Americans know about this. Oh, that's incredible. Okay, so yeah. tell me tell me this skepticism here. Well, there's a ton of scrutiny about the event, and a lot of top-notch American officials recently admitted that the thing was blown completely out of proportion portion in order to get American people in favor of the war. Oh, that's a classic move. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, anyway, Senator Church challenged uh, President Johnson over the whole thing and made a great statement saying, quote, in a democracy, you cannot expect the people whose sons are being killed and who will be killed to exercise their judgment if the truth is concealed from them. Ooh. Yeah. So LBJ didn't like that. <laughs> yeah. I bet uh, not. <laughs> no. Anyway, Church continued to do his senator thing. Good. He was a strong liberal on most issues, except for gun control, actually. Huh. Which he was strongly against. That's interesting. So this guy's nuanced. Yeah. Huh. I gotta wonder, like, that probably... I mean, his dad took uh, took him hunting and stuff when he was a right. kid, so that probably had a thing to do with it. Oh, I see. Anyway, uh, Church was also a very strong environmentalist. Well, that would make sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, in 1964, Church was the floor sponsor of the National Wilderness Act, ah. which enacted the federal protection of about 9.1 million acres of national land. Oh, pretty cool. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, he also sponsored the Wild and Scenic Rivers Act, which helps to protect a bunch of rivers. Oh. Uh, he also ha- helped uh, establish the Hell's Canyon National Recreation Area and also was the primary guy who fought for the establishment of the Sawtooth Wilderness and National Recreation Area. I've been everywhere. Yeah. I've been all of those places. That's great. Really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Church was also instrumental in creating the River of No Return Wilderness Protection Area which is the largest wilderness area in the nation outside of Alaska. Wow. Uh, it would be na- renamed the Frank Church River of No Return Wilderness in 1984. Huh. It's, it's still named that. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. He was instrumental. Uh, so, Church also became known for issues other than environmental. Okay. In 1979, he was the first senator in Congress to disclose and protest the presence of Soviet troops in Cuba. Okay. Which actually helped Church in his political cl- career because Republicans couldn't use Soviet sympathy as a way to undermine him because okay. he's a Democrat. Wait a second now. He's the, he dis- 
disclosed and protested the president the presence of Soviet troops in Cuba? Yeah. What does that exactly mean? So he he basically went before Congress and was like, hey, there are Soviet troops in Cuba. This is not a great thing. We should be against this. I see. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, in 1974, Church, along with Senator Frank Moss of Utah, created legislation to provide federal funding for hospice care. Oh. Uh, the bill didn't really have a lot of support at first, but eventually gained traction, and hospice care became included in Medicare in 1982. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This guy's he did a lot. <laughs> I can tell. Uh, in 75 and 76, Church also worked with the U.S. Senate Committee to reveal that the American company Lockheed Corporation had basically used $22 million to bribe other government to buy fighters from them. Whoa! Uh, which is a big no-no. So he's just <laughs> blowing the lid off everything. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he's basically a huge whistleblower as wow. a senator. Uh, Church also later worked with Pennsylvania Repu Republican, uh, note that, he's working with okay. the opposite party, uh, Pennsylvania Republican John Hines in favor of the Conscience Clause, which prohibited the government from requiring church-affiliated hospitals to perform abortions. I see. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he also helped fight in support of of the Egyptian-Israeli Peace Treaty of 1979. Wow. So this wow. guy was pretty just... He was pretty busy in his whole career. Well, and think about the kinds of people he's pissing off by doing this. Right. I mean, that's a big <laughs> deal to yeah. go up against Lockheed and... I mean... <laughs> yeah, he's going against corporations. That's he's going insane. against the Warhawks. Okay. Yeah. So I kind of like this guy so far. Oh, I do too. Uh, I should also say a quick word about his wife, Bethine. Uh, Bethine? I think that's how you I say it. I think it's Bethine. Yeah. Uh, in a lot of ways, she was just as politically active as her husband. Okay. Uh, she was active in her husband's campaign and actively participated in public life. I see. She was eventually given the unofficial titles of Idaho's third senator <laughs> <laughs> and the matriarch of the Idaho Democratic Party. <laughs> that kind of sounds scary. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, and she was a part of a ton of organizations. There's a huge list of them on Wikipedia, and they're pretty cool. Okay. Uh, I'd like to talk more about her, her but we got to move back to Frank Church to talk about one of his greatest contributions to the American people. Wow. Or not, uh, depending uh, on uh, your views on things. Yes, depending on how you see this, I yeah. assume. Uh, so, right. do you remember when Senator Church was kind of unsure about the whole LBJ and Gulf of Tonkin thing? Yeah. Uh, yeah, well, it turns out that Church really didn't like the idea of the Vietnam War. I see. He was one of the first senators to oppose the war and tried twice, in 1970 and 73, to pass legislation that would curtail or end the war effort. Well. Uh, in 1970, Church famously announced on television that the Doves had won. Oh. Uh, meaning that the uh, peace efforts had won. Really? Yes. Oh. Uh, and they did. Oh, wow. Uh, American troops were to be withdrawn from Vietnam. The only question was as to when. Of course. <laughs> uh... Reminds me of Afghanistan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mm. uh, Church then announced, quote, So the last, sir, uh, what? What did you <laughs> Oh, yes. Uh, so the last service the Doves can perform for their country is to insist President Nixon's withdrawal program truly leads to a Vietnamization of the war. Okay. It must not become a device for lowering and then perpetuating an American military presence in South Vietnam for the indefinite future. Oh. Our long ordeal in this mistaken war must end the gathering crisis in our own land, the deepening divisions among our people, the festering unattended problems here at home, bear far more importantly on the future of our republic than anything we ever had at stake in Indochina. Wow! <laughs> yeah, Ooh. so really just attacks the whole Vietnam thing. Man. Yeah. Uh, but that's actually not what I was talking about earlier when I said his finest hour was about to take place. Oh! Uh, his finest hour, I think, was this. 
Frank Church and a few other senators created the U.S. Senate Select Committee to study governmental operations with respect to intelligence activities from 1975 through 1976. That's a mouthful for Uh, just one year. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It was actually just usually called the Church Committee, though, because Frank Church was the chairman of it. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, So the committee was made to basically investigate the secret doings of the American CIA, NSA, and FBI. Huh, why? But why, exactly? Uh, There was a lot of concern about these organizations, because in the few years prior, in the early 1970s, a lot of stuff came out about a whole bunch of illegal, naughty things these government organizations were doing. Uh, Okay, like what? Well, just remember that the CIA was was, uh, initially made to just gather intelligence. Okay. That was their only job. Uh, But in January 1970, Army Intelligence Officer Christopher Pyle revealed to the public that the American Army Intelligence was actively spying on every American civilian demonstration in which there were more than 20 people. Whoa, whoa, this is 1970? Yeah. Wow. (laughs) And the Army's spying on the... Oh, (laughs) wow, great. Uh, Not great. No. (laughs) (laughs) On December 22nd, 1974, the New York Times published a huge article that detailed CIA operations that became known as the Family Jewels. Ah, and what did these Family Jewels include? Well, uh, the CIA was illegally conducting a massive intelligence operation against anti-war movements in the U.S. Whoa! Yeah. Okay. Uh, Things like illegal use of wiretapping, domestic surveillance, assassination plots, and human experimentation were all being used by the CIA. What the shit? Wait, so they were just basically spying on people who were, what? Anti-war. Anti-war. Against the Vietnam. Vietnam War, yes. Whoa, this is sounding a little bit like Trotsky in France. <laughs> kind of, yeah, exactly. Okay. And this was, I mean, the family jewels continue. Uh, the CIA was also confining a KGB defector, which violated kidnapping laws. Okay. Also that the CIA had tried several times to assassinate Fidel Castro in order to topple the, gov- the Cuban regime. Now, ho- ho- hold on. Yeah. Hold on. Uh, so, <laughs> CIA was was kidnapping a KGB defector. Okay, like that, I guess that kind of makes sense. Right. But wait, why was it out of their element to try to assassinate Fidel Castro? Well, because their job was not to kill people. Oh. The CIA was only supposed to, you know, collect intelligence. Huh. And it broke a lot of international laws about, you know, countries trying to assassinate other leaders and whatnot. Wow, that is so interesting because, you know, when somebody says CIA nowadays, I just assume they do assassinations. Right, everybody does. Yeah. And that's not what they're supposed to do. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's kind of illegal in a lot of in a lot of ways. All right, so what else did they do? Uh also, the CIA was illegally using surveillance to watch certain journalists. Uh, fun. Also, that the CIA had illegally broken into several homes and offices of former employees and defectors Not without cool. warrants. <laughs> also, that the CIA hadn't used warrants, which I said. Uh, also, that from 1953 to 1973, so 20 years, the CIA had illegally opened mail going to and from the Soviet Union. Okay. Which you need a warrant to do, right. and you have to tell you know, the American citizens that you did this. Okay. Uh, they didn't do that. Uh, also, uh, f- from 1969 to 1972, they did the same thing with any mail going to China uh, or coming from China. Uh, uh, also, that the CIA had been experimenting on unwitting U.S. citizens in order to find more about mind control. What? <laughs> yeah. What? What? Uh, Experiments used drugs, torture, interrogations, and more to find out uh, about mind control. Okay, wait, hold on. Yes. Sorry. Um, There's a lot to this. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a lot to swallow. Okay, uh-huh. so my gut reaction to them opening mail going to the Soviet Union uh-huh. and going to China is 
it's safety. They're, we're, they're just checking to make sure there aren't any spies. Right. right? Yeah. And, like, my paranoid self wants to go, well, that makes sense, at least. Sure. In kind of a fucked up way. Yeah, I mean... But it's still technically a violation of the law. Exactly. I see. Okay. Well, that's the thing, is, like... And Church would later say this, like, we need intelligence. I, I mean, everyone kind of agrees with that. Mm-hmm. But they had just gone uh, f- further than what they were initially supposed to do. Okay. And they were breaking the law. So wait, let's then let's go back to this mind control stuff, because yeah. that's interesting. Uh-huh. Um, wh- what was this all about? Well, it's called MKUltra, Project MKUltra, and okay. it, it, they use it in Stranger Things, the, the TV show, <laughs> Yeah, but it actually happens. Oh, shit. <laughs> uh, yeah, so the, the CIA used drugs, torture, interrogations, uh, on American citizens. American citizens. And a bunch of these citizens didn't know that this is what they were signing up for Whoa. because they weren't told. Uh, so that actually happened. <laughs> wow. Yeah. That's messed up. So these were all part of the family jewels, which the New York Times uh, kind of, you know, told <laughs> the American mm-hmm. people about. But there's also more to it. Uh, okay. The family jewels also revealed that the CIA had tried to assassinate Fidel Castro. Uh, Patrice Lumumba, the Congolese leader, I'm probably butchering that pronunciation, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they also tried to kill President Rafael Trujillo of the Dominican Republic, Okay. Rene Schneider, who was commander-in-chief of the Chilean army, Whoa. also the CIA was actively sur- surveying a bunch of people in Detroit, what? Okay. <laughs> uh, also the CIA was carefully and illegally watching former CIA officer and agency critic Victor Marchetti, who had written the book The CIA and the Cult of intelligence. Uh, also, the CIA had <laughs> just goes on and on. Uh, also, the CIA had amassed files on about ten thousand American citizens who were involved with the anti-war movement in Operation Chaos, Project Resistance, and Project Merrimack. Oh, this sounds a lot like the Soviet secret police we were yeah, talking about earlier. I, know. I mean, I'm not saying it's a direct comparison, but I am saying like, right? It sounds just as fishy. I don't well, know. and the thing is, like, there are a ton of conspiracies about the CIA doing, you know. Basically the same things that the KGB does. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole nother thing <laughs> to get into. Right. This isn't conspiracy, though. Th- this was all released. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> the list goes on. Okay. The CIA was also uh, using fake identification documents. Okay. Uh, which is legal. Also, the CIA was testing electronic equipment on U.S. telephone circuits. Uh. Uh, anyway, to finish that up, a lot of people were very concerned with the <laughs> le- illegal acts of the CIA. Yeah, don't fucking say <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh my and, god. And also there's the whole Watergate thing going oh on right my now. God. <laughs> a lot of distrust with the American government. <laughs> so these are that's a lot of good reasons for Frank Church yes. to investigate the CIA. Exactly. So that's why the church committee was, you know, deciding to and, look into this. And this is the this. stuff that they that came out or stuff that they knew about just because of the article. This just came out because of the article and uh, that one guy's, you know, Interview. This is not what the church community has found yet. Okay. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah. This was just all the, the precursor. The allegations. The before story. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So from 1975 through 1976, the church committee investigated various U.S. intelligence agencies and published 14 reports on the abuse of law and power that these agencies had committed. What did they find? Well, <laughs> uh, they found that the CIA and other agencies had tried to assassinate Patrice Lumumba, leader of the Democratic Republic of Congo, Rafael Trujillo of the Dominican Republic, okay. the Diem brothers of Vietnam, General Rene Schneider of Chile, and it also tried to use the Sicilian mafia to kill Fidel Castro, Whoa. which was actually approved by President Eisenhower. Whoa. <laughs> yeah. Hang on, so like before we... 
this guy alleged that they did this. They do the investigation, and then they find out that these assassinations were actually attempted. Exactly. Wow. And, and again, like you said earlier, this doesn't. This isn't surprising to us because we just assume that's what the CIA does. Yeah. But they're not supposed to be going around killing leaders of other countries. Shit. Uh, and this might be why other countries hate us so much. <laughs> just this. I'm sorry. Well, well right. <laughs> okay. Oh, anyway, so the church committee also helped uncover the NSA's watch list, which held millions of names and thousands of American names, Whoa. including Frank Church himself. What? <laughs> He's going through the list, huh? Uh, what? What? <laughs> what the fuck? Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the list also uh, included people like politician Walter Mondale, humorist Art Butchwald, economist Arthur Burns, actor Gregory Peck... <laughs> Journalist Tom Wicker, civil rights activist Whitney Young, pacifist David Dellinger, civil rights leader Ralph Abernathy, Whoa. and other people like that. Wow. So just a lot of people who are active in, you know, pacifism or uh, the civil rights. American <laughs> citizens who are trying to change things. That's right. Wow, yeah, that's weird. And they're all on the NSA watch list. Oh, God. Uh, the church committee also uncovered Project Shamrock. Oh, what a fucking stupid <laughs> name. <laughs> oh, anyway, in this project, uh, the NSA received daily microfilm copies of all incoming, outgoing, and transiting telegrams via the Western Union. Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the information would then be sent to various government intelligence agencies in order to keep watch on all sorts of people. And just because, like, a buzzword popped up. Exactly, oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That's creepy. <laughs> and the whole project was done without warrants and absolutely no court authorization. Oh, so my God. So, illegal. <laughs> right, but the CIA had to have some kind of a justification for this kind of thing. Uh, we'll get to that later. Uh, okay. And basically, this is what it all comes down, down to, is whether or not you're pro or against government spying on us... It's illegal. Yeah, like that's true. Change the law if you're for it, but yeah. it's illegal. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the thing. It's like, are we really going to let a bunch of red tape get in the way of protecting our people? Exactly. You know? yeah. that's, that that would be the argument from my point of view. I'm like, look, these laws are old. They're outdated. We need to modernize. And guess what? Congress is slow. So you know what? In the interest of the safety of the American people, we're just going to break the law yep. <laughs> and say sorry later. Right. That's it. I mean, I, I get that justification. It doesn't make it right. But no, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but there's more. Oh, God! <laughs> <laughs> so the church committee so far just de uh, declassified all this information, even though President Ford tried to stop them from doing so. <laughs> oh, my God. Uh, they must not know! Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. Uh, the church committee also found that the CIA and FBI had opened and photographed more than 215,000 pieces of mail without any warrant, uh, and then put the mail back into circulation without the United States Postal Service actually knowing. Are you kidding me? Uh, no. Wow. <laughs> and the way they did this is kind of comical. So CIA agents moved mail to private rooms and postal offices, and then stuffed the mail into coats or briefcases what? to steal them without the Postal Service realizing. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> so it's all these guys in black suits. You know, just stuffing mail in that's, their coats. That's as silly as escaping from Siberia in a, a Siberia, <laughs> Siberia in a hay wagon. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, the church, and this is, this is, I think this is the craziest part. Okay. The church committee also revealed a special gun that the CIA had invented. Uh, oh, okay. And I gotta say, this sounds like something straight out of science fiction. Oh. But you can see the film footage of all the church uh, committee's presentation to Congress and the American people. Like, you can see them with this gun. So, oh. go look into it for yourself. <laughs> 
Uh, anyway, the, okay. the, the, the I'm imagining scene. a super soaker. <laughs> <laughs> no, it actually looks like a, a just a normal handgun with a giant scope on it. Okay. But, uh, anyway, the gun shoots a special bullet made out of ice. <laughs> and this isn't science fiction. Wow. Uh, upon hitting a human, the bullet penetrates the skin and then the ice melts, leaving no wound behind except for a small red dot, which is virtually untraceable. Wow. It looks like a mosquito bite. I see. Uh, inside the ice is... Uh, uh, there's a lethal poison, uh, which causes the human to experience a heart attack and die in seconds. Jesus! Yeah, and virtually untraceable. <laughs> oh my god. So there are a ton of conspiracies, you know, about all sorts of journalists or judges or whatever dying of heart attacks in their 40s with yeah. no history of heart disease. I don't want to dive into that, but the gun is real. <laughs> okay, the gun is real. Yeah. Okay. Uh, anyway, so the result of this committee? Yeah. Uh, well, no surprise, the U.S. government was not happy with Frank Church and the others. Yeah, he's just pissing in the lemonade. Ex exactly. Damn it. Uh, so... Uh, President's, President Ford's top advisors tried to get CIA Director William Colby to only have to brief the church committee rather than testify. Uh, what's the difference? Uh, well, briefing, he wouldn't have to say everything. You know, uh, he oh, could, I see. He could potentially lie. He wouldn't have to say the whole truth. Okay. Uh, testifying is you got to answer all the questions to b the Under best the of your knowledge. Okay, got it. Uh, the Ford administration... Oh, whoops. Um, what? Uh, anyway... <laughs> The church committee was in the right, and they got him to testify, and okay. that's where they got uh, a lot of this information. I see. Anyway, the Ford administration also attacked church by saying they were very specific about their effort to destroy American intelligence capabilities. There was Senator Church who said our intelligence agencies were rogue elephants. <laughs> <laughs> they were supposedly out there assassinating people and playing dirty tricks and so forth. Well, that just wasn't true. Oh. Except that it was true. So that's, so that's the Ford administration saying that it's not true? Yes. Okay. Yes. Uh, they, the Ford administration also prevented the committee from ordering the dismantling of the CIA and other intelligence organizations. Oh. Because that's what they wanted. They're like, look, these people are... It's way bigger than what we wanted. They're loose uh, cannons. They're breaking the law. Okay. <laughs> they're the rogue elephants. <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, but the CIA obviously was not dismantled. So they, they the goal has moved from... Dismantling the, the CIA to um, just adjusting it, I suppose? Adjusting it and, you know, putting something in place that would keep a watch on them. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so the church committee was not able to actually really do anything to get rid of the CIA, as I just said. Yeah. Uh, although they would lay the groundwork for the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act of there 1978, mm. which curtails intelligence agencies from carrying out mass investigations and ensures that they all must have warrants. Okay. However, okay. this has been heavily modified and changed after the September 11th attacks to huh. give more power to the security or intelligence agencies so again okay. it all depends on how you see these intelligence agencies right. whether they're protecting us or whether they're kind of scary well and i mean you know the part of me wants to say well you know they found you know so many bad guys with this and whatnot sure and, you know it's not bothering me i don't have anything to hide but it's still like it's still kind of scary. Yeah, um, and I don't like the whole breaking the law thing. No! <laughs> uh, uh, and they should only be gathering intelligence, I think. Like, right. If we're going to... If we're going to secretly assassinate another... Some <laughs> leader in another country, well, that's just... I don't... That's not what America <laughs> really no, should it, stand for. No, we should not stand for <laughs> no. that. You know, they, it's kind of what we do stand for, unfortunately. Uh, anyway. Board game for these people. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Okay. 
So, but I, I think uh, the best way to sum this whole thing up is to let Frank Church do it himself. Oh, okay. Uh, so on NBC on August 17th, 1975, uh, Frank Church made this quote, and it's a bit long, but I think I have to read it because it's, it's a really powerful quote, I think. Okay. So he says, quote, In the need to develop a capacity to know what potential enemies are doing, the United States government has perfected a technological capability that enables us to monitor the messages that go through the air. These messages are between ships at sea. They could be between units, military units in the field. We have a very extensive capability of intercepting messages wherever they may be in the airwaves. Now, that is necessary and important to the United States as we look abroad at enemies or potential enemies. We must know at the same time that capability at any time could be turned around on the American people and no American would have any privacy left, such as the capability to monitor everything. Telephone conversations, telegrams, it doesn't matter. There would be no place to hide. If this government ever became a tyranny, if a dictator ever took charge in this country, the technological capacity that the intelligence community has given the government could enable it to impose total tyranny, and there would be no way to fight back because the most careful effort to combine together in a resistance to the government, no matter how privately it was done, is within the reach of the government to know. Such is the capability of this technology. Now, why is this investigation important? I'll tell you why. Because I don't want to see this country ever go across the bridge. I know the capacity that there that there that is there to make tyranny total in America, and we must see to it that this agency and all agencies that possess this technology operate within the law and under proper supervision so that we never cross over that abyss. That is the abyss from which there is no return. So I think that kind of sums it up really well. Yeah. Uh, like he admits that we need some sort of intelligence community, but... Th- Not to be used on American citizens. No, and it's it's scary. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's so... I don't know. It's To me, it's, it's very troubling. Um, mm-hmm. I, and I don't think this is even a political issue. I just think it's a prag- you know, pragma- pragmatic point of view is, you know... There have to be limitations on these kinds of things, right? Uh, in my opinion, checks and balances. Checks and balances. That's that's a good system to have with anything. And yeah. just giving you know carte blanche to these these kinds of operations is dangerous. Yeah, I mean it's it's extremely dangerous. And even today, it's kind of eerie that he was saying this in the seventies. Oh yeah, and we'll get to that when we talk about his legacy because okay. it was kind of forgotten about until after September eleventh, when the whole NSA spying thing was on front lines again. Mm-hmm. Or front paper, I should say. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> front page. <laughs> yes. There you go. Um, yeah. But so yeah, <laughs> I guess that's where we'll leave Frank Church for now. I think that's a good place to leave him for now. Yeah. Um, and uh, I think we take a break before we get to the. Dance. Okay. I, I think that's a good idea. All right. We'll be right back, everybody. And we are back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we were talking about Frank Church and his whole thing with the CIA. Yep. <laughs> which was a bit scary. Yep. Um, and now we're going to get to Leon Trotsky's end and death. Oh, okay. All, all right. right. So when we left Trotsky, he was in shambles, shuffling around Mexico, trying to figure out where it all went wrong. Ah. Uh, he had been sentenced to death by the Soviets and yet was still alive. Right, because they had a trial for they him. They had a trial for him for, <laughs> twice. Two oh. conspiracies. They accused him of trying to take over the government. Uh, trying to, you know, beat Stalin or whatever. Yeah. Remember, the Stalinists are, are not really Marxists at this point, in, in his point of view. Sure. Um, 
But, you know, he's still alive, but that's not going to stop the Soviets. Oh, dear. So, in 1940, armed assassins raided his villa. Oh, God. Trotsky's grandson was shot in the foot. A bodyguard was kidnapped and later killed. Uh, but at the end of it all, the assassination attempt was thwarted by Trotsky's guards. Well, I guess having guards would be a good idea if you yeah, were him. <laughs> yeah. So, a month later, though, Trotsky was attacked by another assassin named Ramon Mercator. Um... He asked Trotsky to read an article he had written, and as soon as Trotsky looked down at the paper, Ramon drew a fucking ice axe from his pocket oh and God. struck Trotsky in the head with it. Jesus. Now, it wasn't a good hit. Okay. Like, it should have killed oh, him fuck. instantly, but Trotsky immediately started to fight back. Um, oh. So his bodyguards eventually heard all this commotion and rushed in, and the subdued Ramon nearly killed him, oh. but Trotsky stopped them in order that the assassin could be interrogated. Okay. Um, but unfortunately, Trotsky later died of blood loss and shock. Oh, wow. And I say unfortunately because deaths are unfortunate. I'm not saying it's unfortunate that Trotsky's right. dead. Sure. All right. So, yes. Um, and speaking of Ramon, uh, Ramon Mercator spent 20 years in prison uh, in Mexico for the murder, and oh, it was wow. eventually released. In 1961, he moved to the Soviet Union, where he was awarded the country's highest award, Hero of the Soviet Union. <laughs> when wow. he died, his last words were these. I hear it always. I hear the scream. I know he's waiting for me on the other side. What the fuck? Isn't that creepy? Oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, it's terrifying. Oh. Anyway, okay, so let's talk about what Trotsky did to this world. Okay. It's arguable, arguable that without Trotsky, there never would have been a serious revolution in Russia. No massacring of the Tsar and his family, no red or white terror, no Russian civil war, no great purges, no Soviet Union. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, again, he was a major figurehead. Right. And it's not that Lenin couldn't have done it, but he was part he, of this group. Yeah. And he was such... He was internationally acclaimed for his writings and whatnot. He was seen as a, as yeah. a you know, a, a great writer, a great journalist, speaker, and whatnot. And again, Marxists liked him, but it was Leninists and Stalinists hmm. who kind of made a cult out of the whole yeah. thing. Um, who didn't like him. Right. Yeah. So, anyway... <laughs> Um, but yeah, there would be no no terrors, no purges, no mm. Soviet Union. World War One might not might have uh, might have gone on with Russia and play for a bit longer, possibly ending the war sooner. Yeah, it is arguable that World War Two would have turned out completely differently if Russia had still been a czarist state. Oh man, the Nazis may never have allied with the Russians at all, and certainly would have lost the alleged motivation of eliminating communism from the list of reasons to invade the country, right. which of course proved disastrous for them. Yeah, <laughs> and if the Nazis had invaded Russia, it's quite possible that they would have won the war altogether. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, we might still see a Nazi Germany today. Of course, yes. this is all speculation. Right. But it's like, what could have happened if this guy had just not done Yeah. Um, and Russia is so forgotten about, I feel like, in the West, uh, in this whole time period. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. I mean, it was... It, it really, really was. And, yeah. you know, you, the thing about the Tsarists and, and the White Army and the Red Army is that they ended up not being too different. Hmm. In fact, when... The Red Army finally won the war and the Soviets were in place. I mean, look what happened. Stalin. More of the same. Yeah, Stalin basically worse. became another czar. <laughs> yeah. Um, but nobody wanted to say it because they all had this communist idealism in their head. Right. And, you know, then there's Trotsky over here like, nope, this is not what it's all about. And he, yeah. was, he was kind of like that from the beginning, even though he did have a Bolshevist bend right. a little bit later on. Well, and that's interesting because I've, I've definitely met and talked with Marxists today uh, in America. And... They all say the same thing, that Marxism has never been enacted in the world. Hmm. And it's, they're kind of right. Like, true Marxism, we've never seen it. It's yeah. always, it always ends in some tyranny that 
and purges and war and cult followings with great leaders. Yeah, exactly. And whatnot. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's it seems to me, and I'm just some nut, but it seems <laughs> to me that Marxism has been used as a facade for fascists mm. to get into power. Yeah. Um, and that, to me, is just sad. Yeah. It's, it's just sad. And I'm not, and again, I'm not saying Marxism is a good thing. I honestly don't know enough about it. Sure. Um, but... The point is that it's always been leveraged to give a lot of power to a few people. Mm, yeah, um, oligarchy. It, yeah, and that goes for a lot of ideals, uh, ideal systems in the world. Of course, um, people, greedy people, power-hungry people, find a way to leverage other people's beliefs into making them yeah. something like a fascist. Someone will always be trying to take advantage of you. Yep, no matter what your views are. <laughs> yeah, it's true. But yeah. anyway, but anyway, back to Trotsky. Yeah. Um, we're looking again at a great man, perhaps not a good one, but sure. a great one. Yep. Um, he was a keystone in the construction of the kind of world we live in today. Whatever one argues, however, here is a human life that changed the planet. And it ended with an ice axe to the head. <laughs> yeah, that's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's so hard to talk about somebody like Trotsky because he doesn't... And again, I'm rightfully ignorant of this. I've only done a little bit of research and taken some history classes. Sure. But it doesn't seem to me like he... I mean, he approved of the Great Purges, I guess, or the Red Terror. Right. But again, that was a reciprocal act to the White Terror. Yeah. So, he's kind of ends up being like a middle-of-the-road guy. I guess so. I don't know. But, I, I mean, I still think he's, he was bad. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But... I mean, if anybody who approves of the murdering of innocents <laughs> is not cool. No, um, <laughs> definitely not. But if you look at Trotsky as a complicated person, mm -hmm. um, and that's that's been kind of a growing theme on the show, actually, is how yeah. grayscale everything is. Exactly. Because the moment you go looking into these people, it's like, ah, Trotsky, he was one of those communist bastards, you know. Right. And, you know, you, you can watch movies where he's the bad guy or whatever, and you can talk about communism as if it's just bad. And yeah. uh, you know what? It's... You can make a case for both ways. Exactly. It just depends on who you believe. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's a, that's the hard thing about history. It not only destroys your heroes, it destroys your villains. Yeah. You have to look at these people as humans. Yep. And I don't know. I don't know. But it's anyway. complicated it, stuff. It's so <laughs> fucking complicated. We're, uh, we're the wrong people to be dealing with. I know. This. We're so confused. <laughs> oh, we're uh. just a couple of fucking assholes. Yes. <laughs> with a mic. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, but anyway, so uh, that's enough about Trotsky. Let's talk about Frank Church's end and death. All right. Well, so after the Church Committee, Frank Church continued to be very active in politics. Uh, in, seven, in, 19, <laughs> in, seven, in, nine, <laughs> in 1976, he tried to run for president with the Democratic nomination. Really? Although he won a few primaries, he eventually withdrew in favor for Jimmy Carter. Uh, okay. Yep. <laughs> uh, after Carter had the nomination, he began looking for a vice president, and a lot of people thought Church would be the obvious choice. Uh, Carter yeah. eventually chose Walter Mondale, though, because Carter thought he was more compatible than Church. Oh. Which okay. makes me wonder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the U.S. government was probably not too keen on getting Church into the Oval Office as vice president. Certainly not. Oh, it was... Uh, Help people responsible. Yeah. We don't want that in the White House. But at the same time, Walter Mondale was on the NSA watch list, so I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, Maybe he just went to Carter and he's like, look, you got to pick me. That's the only way I can get off the watch list. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what did he do when uh, he didn't become president? Or he, vice well, president? He, he stayed active, though, and he did such things as support the... Uh, 
Torrijos Carter Treaties, okay. which proposed the return of the Panama Canal to Panama. Okay. Which... <laughs> <laughs> it's called the Panama Canal. Right. <laughs> I guess we... I mean, America did dig it, but yeah, whatever. That's true. Uh, I still dig it. <laughs> uh, Church's support of this, though, cost him a lot of support back home in Idaho because most people here were conservative. I see. And they liked being in control of the Panama Canal. Okay. Uh, thus, Church lost his fifth attempt for re-election by less than one percent of the vote. Oh, that's so close. Just give it to him. I know. <laughs> uh, although he also lost uh, because the media made predictions of Ronald Reagan's overwhelming win before he actually won. And oh. this caused many Democratic voters from not even bothering to vote. Uh, oh! So he might have actually won. If, wow. Yeah. That sounds familiar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> There's no way that guy with the hair can win. <laughs> Come on! Yeah. And then it happens and they're like, oh, fuck! <laughs> might as well not vote <laughs> oh my god uh anyway after serving 24 years in the senate wow. church went on to practice international law three years later church was uh, unfortunately hospitalized for a pancreatic tumor in 1984 oh damn he died in his home on april 7th at the age of 59 oh. uh, uh, he has left quite the legacy, though, for being such uh, a goddamn American hero. <laughs> yeah. My opinion. My okay. opinion. Okay. <laughs> uh, the church committee was kind of forgotten about, or covered up, okay. until, <laughs> until after the September 11th uh, attacks when the NSA and CIA just kind of got bigger and bigger. Without our watchful protector. Yeah. Like church. <laughs> Uh, and there's kind of an ongoing debate about this. A lot of people have attacked Church for basically betraying the CIA. Makes sense. Uh, they actually say that if the Church Committee had never happened, American intelligence could have stopped the 9-11 attack. Uh, I don't believe that. I, I don't really <laughs> either. I mean, this was 40 or 30 or so years before it. I, mm, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, on the other side of things, though, a lot of people believe that Church correctly prophesied and warned against growing government intelligence. Uh, as for me, though, like I said, I think he's a hero because the CIA scares me. <laughs> what? But why? Don't we kind of need intelligence agencies? Uh, I, I kind of, like Church said earlier, we probably do need them, but they've completely got it out of hand, what? I think. Uh, and this isn't just conspiracy talk. American intelligence agencies have done some really terrible things. James, be careful. No. <laughs> the Church Committee and Family Jewels I mentioned earlier only really scratched the surface of things what? the CIA and uh, NSA have uh, and American government have done. Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa. <laughs> I mean, I'm... I'm this is dangerous. We shouldn't be talking about this, but I'm deathly curious. What, uh -huh. what other terrible things have they oh, done? Oh, God. Where do I even start? Oh, God. How about Operation Paperclip, in which the American government secretly brought in over 1,600 German scientists, many of whom were Nazis and war criminals, what? in order to save them from justice and employ them in the U.S.? What? Or how about Operation Mockingbird, what? where CIA operatives infiltrated all sorts of American media in order to spout anti-communist propaganda and make sure that those news sources were patriotic enough. What? Or how about Operation Ajax, when in 1953 the CIA backed the Iranian coup so that a guy could sell us more oil uh, would be put in place, but then the whole thing backfired and that's why Iran hates us so much even today. Uh, what? Or how about Operation COINTELPRO, <laughs> in which the FBI and CIA undermined and threatened American communist movements, anti-war movements, civil right movements, what? and black power movements. Well, 
They even monitored and threatened Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> or how about the CIA actively gives support to certain films or TV shows that portray them in a positive light, like the movies Argo or Zero Dark Thirty? Well, well of course. <laughs> or how about that the CIA was exposed in 2014 for torturing certain terror sus suspects without having enough evidence and by doing such things as sexual abuse, forcing detainees to stand on broken legs, oh, forcing inmates to eat their own shit, and waterboarding the bejesus out of people. What the or how no. about the CIA has long been giving tons of weapons to radicals all over the globe? In what? 1979, the CIA gave weapons and training to Afghan rebels. Or how they're doing now with the Syrian rebels and radicals. Well, or how about Operation <laughs> Northwoods, in which the U.S. Department of Defense and CIA proposed that the U.S. government carry out terrorist attacks what? on its own people and then blame the Cubans that the Americans would be a strong, uh, more strongly favor war with Cuba? Wait, okay. Or how about... What? Who the hell could that be? Uh, I think I have an idea. I've got a bad feeling about this. Oh, shit! Oh, God! Oh, oh, my head. Oh. Where the hell is James? Who the fuck were those people? Pickles? Never talk about the CIA ever again. Meow! I guess it's time to bring the show to an end for today. Uh, feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it, and I guess I will read all of it and nod along. If you hate... Uh, me? You're probably right. If you like me, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it takes to fuel the fires for the proletariat revolution, helps tremendously. If you can't afford that, just like us or follow us on SoundCloud or Facebook. Uh, our cover art was created by the extremely gifted Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close out and let the sounds of. Oh. Uh-oh. James, you're alive! Hello, fellow citizen. Would you kindly allow me to make an announcement to our listeners? Uh, sure? Thank you for your compliance. My dear listeners, I'm afraid I must make an apology to all of you. It seems that I have misled you. The Central Intelligence Agency and American government need not be feared, friends. The world is a dark and threatening place, but they are the guardians that allow us to sleep warmly and safely at night. Uh, J James, this doesn't sound like you. But, but, but it is me, Aaron. I have been cleansed of my childish traitor's views, and now I'm a true patriot and citizen. All praise must be given to our protectors. Uh oh, this is so not you. Our listeners must be told. War is peace. Freedom is slavery. Ignorance is strength. Consume, conform. Consume, what? conform. What have they done? For Freedom is slavery. Get off the desk! Ignorance is strength. Consume, conform. Consume, conform. God War damn is it. peace. Freedom is slavery. Jesus Ignorance Christ. is strength. Consume, Shut conform. Consume, Well, look, we still have a few minutes before we go on the air. I'd like to tell you about the time that Eleanor and I went down oh, to the... Oh, let's save the talk. Can't we agree that capitalism is an economic system? A system for the production and distribution of things we need and want? I won't agree to that. Not until you say something about government, too. There has to be a legal basis for any economic system to operate. Well, it's easy to see that you have different ideas of what capitalism is. Maybe we should talk about what it is not. It is not a system of strict governmental control and planning in which a dictator or board tells people what jobs they may hold and, and what goods they may produce. And it's not a system of government ownership. Let me tell you about something. It shows that the basis of the capitalistic system is private property. It happened when Eleanor and I went down to get the things for the class weenie roast. We went to Mr. Brown's store. 
Well, that's what I mean. Mr. Brown really owns property. All those store fixtures and the groceries in there, and, well, the whole store. It's his property, and he can do almost anything with it that he likes. We needed weenies. Mr. Brown had weenies. Mr. Brown really owns weenies. All those store weenies and the weenies in there. And, well, the whole store had weenies, 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 weenies. It's as simple as that.